We are the abductors of the normal, the nocturnal watchers from the sky, observing the fear. We are the horror autopsy. Well, that was new. Yeah. I even wrote it down. Wow. Yeah. I, I did, for the record, I did not know he was going to say all It's good, ain't it? Don't we? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of surprises to come today. So my colloquialisms. Colloquialisms. Thank you. Well, I'm okay. just spitting bars at this point. Cool. Anyway, we're back. I had not noticed. If your ears were peeled, you'd realise that language invokes some sort of sci-fi. Ah. You see what yeah. I did there? Thematic. Yeah, thematic. Uh, so, Fowler, how have you been? Have you watched any good horror films recently? I have. I've seen a few. So, I guess the most recent ones was Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Which you saw. Bodies times three. Which you saw without me. I'm sorry. Despite us having vague plans to go watch it. I'm so, and I'm still down for seeing it. <laughs> I was honest. I, I as the yeah. first opportunity, well, maybe not the first opportunity, but half an hour after I saw you, I felt too bad to like it. Uh, fair enough. Um, uh, yeah, I've yet to see it. Maybe we'll go see it. I, I'm down. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's good, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard good things. Yeah, I thought the trailer looked really fun. Yeah. And I like Pete Davidson. He's alright. He's kind of playing himself. Okay. I, explaining it will kind of ruin it. Because uh, it's oh, very okay. much a film that stuff happens. <laughs> it sounds stupid. Stuff happens. It's the plot. But you can explain the plot. It's not like an alien invasion movie. Oh, okay. Per se. It's, it, okay. Yeah. Explaining the plot. Does it... Um Somewhat of a We're just on time. Yeah, just really. on time. Okay. Uh, I rewatched The Driller Killer after our Abel uh, Ferrara. Yeah, yeah, episode. yeah. You, you're always going on about Abel Ferrara. I still haven't seen uh, The Driller Killer. I would like to. I would like to watch it. We watched um, Bad Lieutenant, which I quite liked. I thought it was interesting. Great. So I'd like to watch uh, a few more of his movies. Which that? And I watched The Black Panther, which I found in the middle of the night on. I don't even know what it was streaming with. It was on the TV. It was on the. This is obviously not the um, Brian Coogler Marvel movie. Not the Marvel film, specifically not the Marvel film. So it's based on um, a real life case, which was a shame because I already knew about the case, so it kind of spoiled the film. Yeah. And the ending could be quite upsetting. Um, So yeah, it's based on this hooded cat burglar who has been accidentally shot shotgunning people uh, for botched jobs. And the whole kind of thing is about like, he's just a bit of an idiot and he kind of misconfusion, miscommunication leads to someone dying but it's good it's sort of almost like a fly on the wall documentary style but uh okay. lead actor's great it's all set in the north and they're all northern and it's, it's uh, very it's very english it's very british um okay, in cool. mid 70s fair enough you're talking about like um very british horror i watched uh re-watched for the first time in a very long time the wicker man quite recently yes um yeah. i'd forgotten how fucking weird it is it's <coughs> such a strange film really really good really kind of spooky um some really performances um went against a lot of conventions at the time you know the whole thing is almost entirely set in daylight which is a, um something that is present in texas chainsaw and it's been since in midsummer but you know we so closely associate horror with nighttime it was quite um always weird just to see a horror film that just completely took place in the daytime but yeah very very good very weird um very interesting and i also watched uh rewatched jaws as well uh, last week, and which again, I'd forgotten how scary it was. It is genuinely really, really scary. You don't always think of it as fundamentally a horror film because it's, you know, sort of it's a summer blockbuster. It's incredibly popular. It's Spielberg, but it's really like particularly the first sort of half of the half of the film when you barely even see the shark. It's got some really effective uh, horror in there. Mm, agree. That's really the only film that's really still stuck with me. Like, that's the real, the only thing that's really scared me. You don't like swimming and you don't like going in the sea. I don't like going in the sea and it's, <laughs> it's because of that. Like, really? Even if I'm in a swimming pool and I, if I go in the deep end, already, I, already now talking about it, I can feel the, the just the complete <laughs> fear. Like it's, like I can't even actually look at pictures of like the deep sea without sort of. I mean, I'm talking about it now. I'm actually getting goosebumps. Oh, okay, I didn't, like, know you were so, didn't know you were so scared of water. Genuinely terrified. <laughs> um, um, can you swim? 
I can swim. <laughs> I've proven it. No, I'm not great. The last time I went swimming, I pretended to drown just so the lifeguard would come and try and save me. And believe it or not, pretended to drown. Help me! And oh, he okay. didn't come well, to save me. Can you believe that? He didn't believe it. He didn't say he could just left me to drown. I just knew that it was a shameless graft. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now Jaws is, is is really deep rooted. Like my psychology yeah. really scared me. Okay, so still to this day. Yeah. I think the, yeah, there's there's that good jump scare where the sort of severed head um, floats out from underneath the ship. That's very good. Uh, yeah, very, very good performances. Richard Dreyfuss, I think, in They're particular. All great. Robert Shaw. Yeah, Rob Schneider. Not Rob Schneider. Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider's the dude in Adam Sandler movies. Yes. Kind of sucks. It's very um, male kind of film. There's, there's like one, really one female character, Roy Schneider's wife, who um, is mostly just there to function as his wife. Well, later on in the series, she becomes a main... Yeah, see, I've yeah. never seen any of the others because they all have about probably a, a collective five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Jaws <laughs> two is fun. Jaws yeah, two is okay. actually not bad. It's they kind of reuse the same cast. Jaws three is so bad it's good, and Jaws Jaws the Revenge is one of the most terrible. Is that the one with uh, Michael Caine? Michael Caine. I, I think always think it's very funny whenever anyone asks Michael Caine about Jaws the Revenge, he always says, "I've never seen it, but I've seen the house it paid for," <laughs> which is a pretty decent response. Fair play to Michael Caine. I guess silver lining. This week, uh, we deliberated a, few, uh, a little bit about what to do for this episode. We've got a few that um, are in the pipeline, which we've been sort of prepping for, that we will do eventually. Uh, we won't spoil anything. But we can't, we were just discussing it, and you suggested sci-fi horror. And then I uh, said, oh, yeah, we could do Alien. He said, yeah, we could do Annihilation. I was like, okay, well, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> it came together very well. Yeah, and I'm glad it did because it's uh, wasn't. I, I don't think even a topic we kind of thought about until that moment. No, yeah, <laughs> much it was, took yeah. it by surprise. It, very authentic uh, <laughs> conception, this one. Yeah, which is kind of fitting with sci-fi, you know, authentic conceptions of things. You know, yeah, mm. and a lot of that in these two films. Wordplay. <laughs> so, well, the cat's out of the bag. We're doing Annihilation and Alien. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of films we did also think about doing was like maybe The Thing in terms of yeah, sci-fi horror. Yeah, Event Horizon. Event Horizon, yeah. I also thought about as well, uh, which has a lot in common with one of these films, I'd say. But um, Agreed. Event Horizon is... I like Event Horizon. I've got a lot of time for it, but it's an objectively pretty terrible film. It's a show there's not an extra 20 minutes of all the stuff, all the metaphysical well, there stuff is, there, there was so There was at one point, but the... Um, the whole production was a mess. But mm. anyway, this, we're not talking about Event Horizon. We are talking about Rid- Ridley Scott's 1979 movie Alien and Alex Garland's 2018 Annihilation. Sci-fi horror. The main mission statement of this genre is using sci-fi themes, settings, concepts, or aesthetics and mixing elements of horror, such as having a killer alien, a cyborg, or invoking a sense of dread or the uncanny. The history of science fiction has always kind of been parallel with the since really the dawn of cinema, most notably George Méliès' film A Trip to the Moon, where the film itself took influence from H.G. Wells with this depiction of space and rockets. Sci-fi horror really first made an appearance in the sort of 1910s with the first adaptations of uh, Frankenstein and uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And this was the first time that genre, had the two genres had been combined. Funnily enough, I guess the depiction of sci-fi horror on screen is fairly new, but considering it was a decade into movie making that they decided to incorporate horror, sci-fi horror has been around really, and I think we'll probably mention his name quite a lot in this episode, H.P. Lovecraft, yeah. with cosmic horror and metaphysical and the existential dread of being alive. And really at that time, 
It's it's a shame because a lot of these themes that Lovecraft started came from a place of bigotry and ignorance. Yes, which was a kind of piece of shit. Kind of a piece of shit. But again, kind of fit in considering sci-fi rules about taking on, you know, the new frontier, you know, grand borders, uh, universes, what have you. The real staying power of this genre was solidified in the 30s with universal horror movies. Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, and the sequel to... uh, Frankenstein, which was uh, obviously Bride of Frankenstein. Other films uh, from different studios, like The Vampire Bat with uh, Bela Lugosi, uh, Doctor X, really, really, I think, finalised the, the the public appetite for the mixing of the two genres. The fifties was really where the real change was with the explosion of creature features, uh, directors like Howard Hawks, movies like Them, uh, Attack of the Wasp Women. You, know, you could actually fill an entire book with the attack of, you know, the mice people. Things like this. Um, a lot of weird, like, creature features, like, B-movie creature feature. That sort of point in cinema, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. And this really laid the, the modern foundation for the subtext of uh, sci-fi horror, which is really from the 50s, the atomic age, you know, the atomic yeah. warfare. Yeah. And then, again, kind of harking back to Lovecraft, how small and inconsequential everybody is on the planet and how scary that really is. Exactly. And- yeah. I think, yeah, especially around that time, sort of like... Um, Cold War, a lot of uncertainty and anxiety. Found doing this podcast, I think, is often what horror does. It is a sort of a response to the current zeitgeist. Mm. You know, and obviously, as you know, the years have developed. You know, in the 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 eighties, you had the AIDS pandemic. You know, you had the idea of viruses, you had things like the thing, the fly. Yeah. And now, you know, I guess we're talking about sort of what it is to be human, mm. really, in sci-fi. So it, it's about you know mirroring those existential concerns and man's place in the world. Exactly, yes. All man's place. Very patriarchal right there. People's place in the world. People's place in the world. People's Let's go place. with that, yes. People's place in the world. Cool. Okay, yeah. That, it, it's a very interesting genre. It's sci-fi. is something I've not struggled with, but um, it's it's never been... I've never been crazy into sci-fi. I think partially because I think anything... It's the same with um, fantasy. And to be honest, uh, it's the same with H.P. Lovecraft. I sometimes find it hard to get invested to something... A story that is, you know, completely removed from our reality. Um, I usually like a story that is sort of, you know, that I can relate to in some way. Um, I'd say my favourite sci-fi movie is probably um, Arrival, uh, Denis Villeneuve's movie, because it really focuses on uh, the human race's reaction to aliens and what we would do as a society and as a species if a bunch of spaceships just sort of landed um, on the Earth, and it's also a film which focuses on communicating with them, which is a concept I find fascinating. But a film like, I don't want to say Star Wars, but I'm tempted to sort of go Star Wars. I have often found it a little bit hard to identify with because it's a film which takes place in a completely different universe. You know, that that's just me and my sort of taste in films. I think objectively sci-fi is a fascinating genre that um, can always have a lot to say about us, about humans, and those are always my favourite kind of sci-fi stories. Mm. I think Star Wars is more like sort of like sci-fi fantasy. You know, it's got yeah, those it's a space more... opera. I've got good memories watching those movies. I, obviously, I mean, I haven't watched them in years. Yeah, sci-fi is different outlets, and now I think we're really tapping into a really interesting zeitgeist in that genre. Yeah, like talking about what sure. it, you know, AI, what it means to be human, stuff yeah. like this. So where we came from, you know, all these like epistemological sort of ideas. And when yes. sci-fi is operating on those terms, I think it's yes, absolutely. Term. And I think both of these films are great examples of that. Mm. Uh, so. Without further ado, shall we talk about our first movie? Yeah, which is... Ridley Scott's 1979's film, Alien. Still with us, Brett? Clay. Yeah, he's dead. 
Anybody ever tell you you looked at me? <laughs> Intercepted transmission of unknown origin. What kind of a transmission? SOS. Human. Ash, can you see this? I've never seen anything like it. this far, we must go on. We have to go on. It doesn't look like an SOS. It looks like a warning. We seem to have life. Wait a minute, this movement. what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T minus 10 seconds. Oh, God. It's running right into our The ship Nostromo holds a crew of six. After awakening from their cryogenic sleep, the crew are made up of a number of exceptional actors, including but not limited to the Queen Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> John Hurt, and the late great Harry Dean Stanton. Of course. He's great. He's, he's probably has about five lines. But he doesn't have to do anything. Do you know what I mean? He just, just stands there smoking like he always does, <laughs> and he's, he's cool as fuck. And Ian Holm as well. Receiving a distress signal from a not-too-distant planet after a reluctant... Journey half of the crew off board the ship and make their way onto the mysterious unnamed planet. Following the distress beacon to a monolithic building, upon venturing inside, the crew find the remnants of an unknown creature. More troubling is the discovery of a menagerie of eggs, and the contents of one has attached itself to poor John Hurt's face. After some conflict of letting in the now incapacitated John Hurt, the Doctor, played by Ian Holm, and the captain, played by Tom Skerritt, begin to investigate the facehugger, discovering the creature has acid for blood, as well as dying, after which John Hurt awakes, only to be struck down by one of the most famous sequences in horror. Mm. The rest of the crew are pit against a perfect killing machine, as well as a morally duplicitous android. The film, as we were saying before, was directed by Ridley Scott. Still quite an early feature, I think it's his second movie after he did The Duelists. Oh, uh, yeah, with Harvey Keitel. With Harvey Keitel. Yeah. So his next venture was to do a horror movie, and he had just seen Texas Chainsaw. Uh, and he okay. wanted to create the same effect, but in space. Interesting. The score, the actual location of that ship itself, it is a gothic horror movie. It's totally a conventional horror setup. The premise is about a group of people who go to an unknown, unknown location and are then picked off one by one by a maniac, except they just replace the maniac with an uh, alien monster. Pretty much. However, the aesthetic in itself, so incredibly emotive soundtrack, more akin to a gothic haunted yeah. type movie. The entire aesthetic of Alien has the connotations and themes of gothic fiction. A mixture of sensual and horrific with the alien design, not to mention the phallic symbols. The romance of Geiger's design. And I yes. think... So uh, Geiger, um, what's his name? H.R. Geiger. H.R. Geiger, he was the guy who designed the alien, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and he... Won an Oscar for special effects. And quite rightly. He had been working for quite a while as a graphic designer, and Ridley Scott loved a series of works he had done where he mixed sexual with this violent imagery that was quite alien. Yeah. And uh, Ridley Scott loved it because he thought the, the connotations matched perfectly with the whole aesthetic of alien, which was this unknown creature 
And more importantly, despite, even though it is a, a sci-fi horror film or a, a haunted house film disguised as a horror film, the film, I think, at, at root level is dealing with these gothic tropes of, you know, really, I think, kind of the, the, the fear of male penetration. Well, yeah. I mean, this is how the alien um, births itself. It's through these... Um, I don't know if they ever get a, a proper name like the xenomorph, but the um, facehuggers face is what they're referred to as. Um, so th this is how the film starts. The face I've got latches onto John Hurt, sort of chokes him and impregnates him through his mouth. And then later on, the xenomorph, the alien, never referred to as a xenomorph in this movie, is it? It's just the alien, but later on, xenomorph becomes, I think, in Aliens. As, yeah, you might be right. From aliens. But yeah, and in that famous scene that you're referring to, uh, the alien bursts out John Hurt. So he almost penetrates out. It, it, well, the whole, yeah, the whole thing is an allegory for male rape. Mm -hmm. Even the way the alien kills with its tongue. Yeah. Um, and how, interestingly, only female character to die isn't murdered in a way she's hung. I think there are all these ideas bubbling underneath the film, though, much like we were talking about earlier, Inferno, where in the film... There are images and symbols that represent themes that the film is kind of talking about, but it's not in the pure yeah. front row. Alien does the same thing, where it is this dealing with this gothic sort of, sort of insepid, icky, gooey mm. sexuality underneath. There's a real brimmingness, and um, yeah. even just on a couple of points about the acting, the cast is exceptional, as we were saying. Yeah, I really like the performances in this movie because it's, it's obviously set in the future. It's a sci-fi, and these people are on a spaceship, but they there's almost like a sort of working class mm -hmm. like uh, blue collar kind yeah, of yeah blue collar kind of like trucker like mentality to them and the way they behave you know they, they smoke they eat junk food they you know they're very comfortable and relaxed around uh, one another I, yeah i really like all the performances um obviously particularly sigourney weaver who went on to become one of the most iconic female figures in horror uh, but was a complete unknown at this point mm -hmm. and it, initially it doesn't even necessarily seem to be the protagonist she is the most logical um, she makes all the character. right decisions she's the one yeah the second that uh, um john hurt is um attacked by the alien and they try to get back on the ship she's the only one who says no we're not breaking quarantine we can't let you in and they everyone on the ship votes against her because they're acting on pure emotion she's the only one acting out of logic uh but yeah so she was not an established star at this point it's only her second film uh, she doesn't get top billing. Tom Scarrett, the mm -hmm. the film's captain, gets top billing, and he is killed off uh, second after Harry. Well, she's not even pitched really as the main character. We're really about midway through. Yeah, and she just kind of emerges as the um, yeah, just the most capable in um, in fighting the in fighting this alien, as well as like you said earlier, Ian Holm, who is the uh, what's his role on the show? So he was a doctor. Initially. He's a doctor, isn't he? And he's the one who's sort of most interested in this alien, and you find out the sort of twist two-thirds of the movie is that he is actually a robot and his purpose on this ship is to make sure that the alien that they get the alien and the alien gets back and the crew are expendable mm -hmm. which i think is a really underrated scene because when we watched it i forgot how wild that scene was where, where um is it uh, what's his name yapito yes i can't i'm gonna try and pronounce his name um Yafet Koto. Yafet Koto. Koto, who is the, um, him and Harry Dean Stanton are like the sort of technicians yeah. They? Yeah, on, on the ship. They're not experts, they're not biologists, scientists, they're just, they're as... The greasers. Yeah, the greasers, yeah, the so they're the most sort of like down-to-earth, I suppose. Good fun, they've, they've got good uh, good chemistry. But uh, that scene where he batters 
his head completely off the Ian Holmes cyborg yeah. character. And you're just not sure what's going on. Because I'd forgotten mm-hmm. that whole little bit. Because you're not sure at first when he's sweating and he's got the strange goo. Yeah. And the fact that... They, imagine if that was blood throughout that entirety. That, that film would mm-hmm. probably be banned or at least... Um, Heavily censored. Yeah, scene. but it is. Yeah, this back, back. Yeah, is he, he? They beat down Ian Holm, and his head sort of comes off, and it's a graphic. Despite him being a robot, it's a very graphic scene. And it's physical. Yeah, and the film is very physical. Like you get the impression that sometimes you know they're sort of whispering to each other. It's a very you know there's steam, there's light. Mm-hmm. The last twenty minutes kind of reminds me of a sci-fi version of Suspiria a little bit, where I was thinking, what other film has? that much going on in the screen. You know, you've got strange lights going off the background, you've got steam blowing up at people, you've got these weird sort of skeletal sort of interiors of the of the ship. Yeah. And you're not sure what parts the alien, you know, there's scenes in it where you're staring at something I love and then something that. Just you're moves. not quite sure the alien kind of like merges in with the ship and you, you it's almost like a Ariasta film. You're sort of watching the screen trying to pinpoint where the alien is and if it's hiding sort of in the frame and I'm sure there are bits where it is hiding in almost in plain sight mm. and you, you know the viewer would not even notice mm. agreed and the design of the alien is just fantastic it's such an iconic look you know that we've seen we've seen various versions of the alien obviously this in this one it's um, it's all practical it is a guy in a suit and the alien sort of slowly grows throughout the film as well which is really frightening this thing's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more unstoppable but uh, in in Aliens, in the sequel to this, there's obviously a lot more of them. Uh, in Alien 3, the alien is CG. And my God, what, what year did that come out? Mm, I would say 93. It's 90, I think it was even later than that. Really? 97, but it looks absolutely like, you know, PS1 it's rough. level of it's rough. terrible CGI. And that came out after Terminator 2 as well. So we know they can do good CGI at this point, but fucking hell, that alien looks... Awful. Well, it really takes away from it because the, the the practical design in Alien Three is kind of cool, mm-hmm. um, but we barely see it. We barely see it, and you also after watching Alien, yeah. realize how much of Alien. Well, that's the other thing that's similar to Jaws. You know, apart from the last sort of fifteen minutes or so, you barely see the alien throughout the film. You sort of see bits and pieces of him, or you see a head and you see a hand, but they do hide it in the same way they hide the shark in Jaws, mm. which adds to the horror. You know, it's the unknown; it's what you can't see, which is always the most scary. And it's quite a scary film. I was actually quite tense yeah. through it. And it's annoying because me and you aren't the biggest Ridley Scott fan. No. But good God, what an incredible film. Brilliantly well-paced, fantastic dialogue, mm-hmm. really physical movie, really throws you in. You really kind of can smell yeah. it and feel it. And it's got a real physical, icky, gooey, scrunchy yeah. vibe. And also, not to um, uh, some behind-the-scenes shout-out, Dan O'Bannon, who uh, helped write Alien, which he... Uh, his first break was with John Carpenter for writing uh, Dark Star. Okay. Uh, Dan O'Bannon uh, really was influenced by Mario Barber's film Planet of the Vampires. And even the, the scene where uh, half the crew goes onto the unknown planet is almost shot taken out of Planet of the Vampires and just sort of gotten up, if you like. Okay. And Walter Hill, who worked with... Peter Cota. Yeah, Peter Cota. Yeah, probably Kota. not saying that, right? Uh, Walter Hill worked with him in a lot of black exploitation movies in the 70s. Okay. Uh, and Walter Hill also produced... All the Alien movies. Didn't believe that. Cast is quite eclectic. Like Cartwright, who's very up to 11 in this. We need that, you know. It, it, someone would be completely hysterical throughout this uh, situation. And yeah, they all have good chemistry. Particularly in the first sort of like half an hour or so, I think, when before the horror really gets going. But I do even then like that they sprinkle these sort of nuggets of horror into the sort of, into the early scenes of the film. Like the... Um, SOS signal that they get, which uh, Ripley later on finds out is um, actually a warning mm. signal, sort of actually saying, no, don't come here. 
the original crew that they find as well before they really understand what's happening. They find all these like destroyed bodies of aliens that have um, come out. I think that's the other thing that is scary about the alien and is what um, is sort of reiterated by Ian Holm later on after he's had his head smashed off is that this is the perfect killing machine and that their whole existence and this uh, we'll come back to this concept later in Annihilation. It doesn't think or feel or anything. It just kills and reproduces, essentially. And that's why Ian Holmes says he admires it. He admires, it admires its purity and its will to survive. The only human part of his role where he goes, my sympathies are for you, and he smiles. Mm. And I was like, that's really strange. Like, a cyborg understands mm. humor or understands spite and humor. I thought yeah. that was a really fun sort of trade-off. Yeah, I thought <coughs> that's something that is present in Blade Runner as well, which Ridley Scott made. You and know, then the prequels. Yeah, your androids dream of electric, electric sheep are... AI are robots capable of feeling in the same way that we do. And I, again, I think that's one of the most interesting concepts that sci-fi can explore. Agreed. And Ridley Scott is really struggling with, with the new prequels. I think, well, we've discussed this with Ridley Scott. Obviously, Alien is absolutely fantastic. Um, I do really like Blade Runner. I think I generally sort of more admire it in terms of how influential mm. it's been mm. in sci-fi. You know, every sci-fi movie that's come out since Blade Runner looks like Blade Runner. In terms of everything else he's done, oh, and Thelma and Louise is fantastic. I always forget that that's him because it's such a mature, good movie and doesn't seem um, like something he'd be able to pull off. But yeah, most of what Ridley Scott's done, I think, is pretty meh. Yeah, yeah, pretty drab, yeah. Um, Prometheus was fucking terrible. I didn't mind Prometheus. No, it fucking um, sucks. It's awful. I thought Alien Covenant was fun. Uh, Hannibal's got moments, but. Alien is, is a damn near perfect film. Alien actually. is damn near it's, perfect. It's annoying yeah. how good it, yeah. it really is. Like, it, every, it doesn't miss a beat. Mm. Um, You're right, perfect pacing. You know, it's not really dated. The, the only yeah. dated little bit is where the, the thing that bursts out, John Hurt just sort of scurries along the table. You it's, know, it's clearly on a wire. Yes. Can, like, along. Yeah. yeah. But everything else works. Yeah. You know, they... Again, it just proves that practical movies with heavy practical effects are always going to hold up in a way that CG is never going to mm -hmm. hold up. CG and, and, and visual, and you know, that... It, it, that technology develops so much. I really wonder what half the Marvel movies that are coming out every other day this um, at the moment are going to look like sort of 50 years from now. I don't think any of them are going to hold up that well. No. Whereas Alien is going to, it's going to look just as good as it does now as it did then and it will do 100 years from now. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And God bless it. And actually the other, the other thing, um, again, mentioning what sequels kind of do when they start to explain things, you can tell that there is some theology or some motive and narrative that has already happened. Mm. You know, when the team arrives and they find the big alien that's been that's been murdered yeah. in the chair, you're aware there is something going on. Yes. And that's what's cool and I think that's, there's, an ominous, there's an ominous feeling. You know something is not right. You know this is all going to go wrong. You know they're going to find something. And the, movie, the movie is called Alien. You know they're going to find an alien. But even, but like, you know, the idea that it's potentially touching on, you know, mm. why, why is that alien there? Who, whose ship is it? Who sent the distress signal? Who sent yeah. It? So there's all these things that I, I'm so glad they're not they're not properly confirmed, but there's enough in there so you can start to kind of put together yeah. that mythology behind it. And that's really cool. Yeah. And then, like we say, since then, he's decided, I know, I'm going to answer all these Everything. questions because that makes things scary. And, oh, and then just what a... Like, this was, while watching Alien, I was like, what a shame mm. all of those like uh, prequels happen. Like, yeah. I love Michael Fassbender. Why is he poisoning all these weird, like, face... Not even faces, just... I don't know. I'm never going to... I saw Prometheus... Um, a while ago, I don't want to revisit it. Alien Covenant again. Was that a little better than Prometheus? I it was fun, but still not great. I do like Michael Fassbender's performance in both of those movies, but he's he's always great. Mm. 
Um, he, he's not enough to save the movie. Um, and then Aliens. I do like Aliens, but it's not a horror. It's a war movie. In the it's same fine. Way. I, I do like Aliens. Yeah, it's, it's similar to how Terminator and Terminator 2, they sort of change from horror to a more action, um, overtly sci-fi mm. thing. I do like Aliens. It is good. Again, a very good cast with good chemistry. Um, Alien 3, which we just talked about, isn't great. and has some terrible CGI, uh, although it is David Fincher's first movie. Uh, it's Literally fun. Tried to take his name off. <laughs> it, it's fun. Like I think there are moments it drags a bit. I think the pacing's all off in Alien Three, yeah. and the, the effects are terrible. Yeah. But I think there are some interesting ideas in there. Mm. And then Alien Resurrection, which I haven't seen. It's fun. Like it, you know, it's full on like nineties industrial Danzig look. You know, yeah. it's, the, it's the same director as Annalise, So there's this French art house vibe uh, to it. Yeah. Ron Perlman's in it, uh, and Beetlejuice um, uh, What's her name? Winona Ryder. Yeah, Winona Ryder's in it. Um, and there's some good underwater scenes. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's fun. It's okay. fun. It's it's a bit more industrially kind of vibe. You know, there's a there's a lot more sort of squishiness and kind of more goo. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of these days I'll watch it. And then there's obviously Alien uh, versus Predator. But I don't think we did the same much on those. Um, only thing about Alien versus Predator is they went for a 15 they were, it must have been like a 12A it was a 15 when it came out because I remember yeah. begging to go see it there is um, no violence in the movie and I was very disappointed director's cut which there seems to be a director's cut of every one of these alien movies apart from the new ones which is kind of yeah because they need it fine that's fine uh, okay cool so um, yeah we both like aliens Watch aliens alien. aliens very good again perfect in terms of sci-fi horror perfect mm. blend of the two very mm. scary great example of a sci-fi movie deals with proper sci-fi concepts um, but it's never. But it's. I'd say primarily, and I think I felt this more more so than ever. Rewatching it, the most recent time we watched this in the week, it is primarily a horror film. It is set up like a horror film. The score and the production design and the whole aesthetic. It is all going for horror, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's awesome. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, um, like you said, Ridley Scott went out. What he watched his chainsaw. He said, "I want to make a horror movie like that," and you can tell that. The horror was it's physical. always the, mo- the main priority. <laughs> yeah, and tension, you know, that great jump scare. I know we're waffling a bit, but uh, yes. that jump scare. Yeah, the jump scare's great, yeah. You know? That scared the fuck out of me first time I watched it. It's, yeah. It, oh, it's so great. Good. Yeah. There's some good jump scares. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, that was Ridley Scott's Alien. Um, and our next film, which is very similar in a lot of ways and extremely different in a lot of others, this is Alex Garland's 2018 movie, Annihilation. Can you describe its form? No. Start from the beginning. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden, pining, looking up at the sky? (laughs) Why aren't you here? I gotta leave a day early. here. Let me see him. He's extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. 
It's beautiful. Check this out. It's like they're stuck in a continuous mutation. Anything interesting in there? No. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. What is it? The soldiers on the last expedition. They went crazy. Or something in here killed them. Something's come through the fence. Through the fence? We have to go back. I can't go back. We can camp here tonight. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. So, our protagonist, Lena, played by Natalie Portman, is a biology professor and army vet whose husband, Kane, also a soldier, has been missing for a year after going on a mysterious classified mission. One evening, he suddenly returns, but appears confused and unsure where he's been. He then goes into a seizure, and he and Lena are taken to a mysterious army base. A psychologist called Ventress informs Lena that Kane has been to a mysterious zone called the Shimmer that has been growing ever since a comet hit a nearby lighthouse. Ventress tells Lena that her and a few other people are going to enter the Shimmer tomorrow, and also that a lot of people have been inside the Shimmer, but Kane is the first person who has actually made it out. Lena, Ventress, and three other experts head into the Shimmer, aiming to make it to the lighthouse where uh, the Shimmer began to try and stop it from growing any further. As soon as they enter the Shimmer, they lose all concept of time, and their technology and even their compass uh, stops working. They also notice that plants and animals have been seemingly merging uh, DNA and have been mutating into new forms of life. Later on, they find a video of Kane cutting open a fellow soldier, revealing his inside, which seemed to be moving. The team are picked off uh, one by one, primarily by a mutated bear in a scene which we'll definitely come back to shortly. Uh, and the team then realise that the Shimmer fragments and refracts everything inside it, including signals, technology, DNA, time and even consciousness. Lena and Ventress make it to the lighthouse where they find another video of Kane, who kills himself as his doppelganger watches on. Ventress then mutates into an amorphous ball of light, which then ultimately takes the form of Lena. Her double mimics whatever Lena does, and then Lena is able to trick it by killing it with a phosphorus grenade, which she sets off before walking away. This also destroys the Shimmer. Lena makes it back to the army base, where she's interrogated by Benedict Wong, and then embraces Kane, who's recovered from his seizure. The film ends with a shot of both of their pupils, which now have gold rings around them suggesting that they've both been changed by the Shimmer and they may not be the same people who went into it in the first place. If at all. If at all, exactly. So I realised as I was reading that that I used the word mysterious about sort of um, five or six times or so, which I feel is Quite very apt. Yeah. Exactly, because I think this film, more than any other sci-fi film, presents us with an idea of alien life, which is so different to ours that we can barely comprehend it, which I feel, which I feel this, that's where the majority of this horror comes from. Uh, what do you think of this film? I love this film. Yeah. I, it, 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 if I had to 
give a list of top 20 movies or even top 10 films from the last 15 years. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I love this film. And like you say, it so perfectly crystallized that whole sci-fi idea of the aliens to like alien. Like you've actually, like, it's mind bending. The Lovecraft influence of the uh, behind the wall of sleep, yeah, and the kind of psychedelic nature of the whole. It is very. Thing. They're yeah. almost kind of explaining an acid trip with, but by using themes and sci-fi concepts and yeah, it I, it's a, a really very, exciting film. I think. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a film which um, takes influence from psychedelia and from Lovecraft as well. I mean, I am not a huge Lovecraft fan. I'm not that familiar with his work. You can easily spot a film that has Lovecraftian influences. I. Didn't think I thought that is there in this film, but it was there. It was not really at the forefront. So mm. also, this book is uh, based. This film, sorry, is based on a book by uh, Jeff Vandermeer, who is a sci-fi writer, and also takes heavy influence from the Russian novel *Roadside Picnic*, which um, is a very, very good book, which also deals with like this alien zone, which people sort of go in and out of. So the whole thing about the Shimmer, as I said in the summary, is that it. It refracts and changes everything inside it, and there is this sort of um, motif of cancer, really. Um, that it, the, the shimmer is like mutating everything that's inside. First of all, they find plants that are all different flowers that are all growing from the same vine, which one of the biologists says is impossible, but it's happening. And then later on, they find an alligator which has been merged with a shark. I think they managed to kill it, and then look at its teeth and say there are at least ten different um, types of teeth in here. So that's what the Shimmer has been doing. It's been changing the DNA of the things inside of it and creating new life. So it, the Shimmer essentially acts like a virus uh, and it grow, growing and spreading with no consciousness, similar to the Xenomorph, similar to the alien in Ridley Scott's Alien. It's just, it doesn't think or feel, it just grows and it spreads and it um, makes more of itself, like a virus it does. Like this banal cancer. Yeah, exactly. And there is this um, motif of cancer. And there is also in this film this um, concept of self-destructive behaviour. Um, Ventress, the sort of head of this exhibition, has a conversation with Lena about halfway through the film about, yeah, about humans' uh, nature to self-destruct and sabotage. And that's what all of the people, all of the... Um, Women. Interesting that they're all, all women on this exhibition as well. Um, we'll get to that. All the women in 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 their group have some example of self-destructive behaviour. One's a recovering uh, alcoholic and an addict. One of them self-harms, and we later find that Ventress has cancer as well. And it's, I think, implied from a conversation that 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 cancer has been brought about by smoking and drinking and stuff. And then compared to the Shimmer, which is this, it's not something that is capable of self-destructive behaviour because it's not conscious it just grows changes and mimics as well in this last scene which i think we'll go into um a bit later in more detail once lena's doppelganger is sort of conceived it doesn't actually attack her or try to harm her or even be aware that it, of what it's doing it just copies her in this really spooky weird scene you, you know some films it just feels like the whole film has been leading up to the last scene i did feel like that a bit with this but in a really good way Mm -hmm. The soundtrack in that moment. The soundtrack almost, is incredible. You know, I remember asking you, did Trent Reznor do this? Because it's yeah. got this real Nine Inch Nails sort of, you know, that one scene where usually there's, you know, big bombastic music. And that scene where the, the doppelganger forms are all these like really striking electronic like like zings almost. And yeah, it, incredible. You know, the, it's almost idyllic as well, the, 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 the place to shimmer. And I actually do think there is a somewhat, maybe not 
fire and brimstone. But I think the idea of religion is also in this film. Where I've actually got a few notes about this. One, Jennifer Jason Lee's character is talking to Natalie Portman, so we don't know what it is. She starts off by going, Is it a religious event or is it um, like an alien? Yeah. Event? Also, interestingly, because I, I think in an Alex Garland film, I don't think you can call a character Kane and there's not really any subtext. So, yeah. Sergeant Kane is the first to come back from this shimmer. Yes. And by the end of it, Natalie Portman's character, the female. Cain and Abel. Yeah. Uh, the premise of the film, you know, it, it, there's a singular organism that's been brought back by Sergeant Kane, And the film is concerned with the metaphysical idea about starting points for things and the future. Much of the film's characters are usually talking about forward motion. And in this idyllic, strange, almost banal world that the Shimmer is creating, there is, I think, a slightly religious allegory, or at least the idea of the unknown and getting to yeah. a place of transcendent, yeah. but not, when I say God, I'm not necessarily meaning, you know, the big man in the sky, I'm the word of something It's something greater. bigger than ourselves, and I think that's that's where the the horror comes from, it's this unknown thing. The lighthouse scene, which is sort of the climactic scene when they make the lighthouse, Ventress gets there first, Jennifer Jason Lee's character arrives first, and she's the one who's most determined to understand this thing, because she's the one who's been studying it from the beginning, I think they say that this the shim has been growing for three years and she's been the head person researching it. So she's the one who really wants to understand what it's doing and why it's doing it. And when Natalie Portman arrives, she's sort of downstairs in the lighthouse and she's, her eyes are shut and she's seen, I think she's seen something. It's like she's looked into the void of whatever this thing is and she says, it's not like us, it's unlike us. I don't know what it wants or if it wants, but it's growing. And it's almost like this, like I said, it's this thing, it's just so different to us that we can barely understand it it's just something from a completely other reality that is now for some reason somehow here again you get the impression it's all completely random and that understanding it is almost futile it's just this thing that is now here and is expanding and taking over and it's like almost presented as potentially a, a new form of life and maybe a superior form mm -hmm. of life because it's not plagued with consciousness and therefore self-destructive behaviour and, you know, humanity's guilt and um, anxiety and self-loathing. It doesn't have any of these. It just, it grows and creates new things. Like, you know, like, like you said, like God. Mm, pretty much, really. I mean, yeah. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's a really interesting film in terms of like its ideas and its delivery. Like, I think it's quite well paced. The the yeah. cast is exceptional. You've got uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, another queen. You've got uh, Natalie Portman, mm. um, Oscar Isaacs, Tessa Thompson, uh, Tessa Thompson one of my favorite Benedict Wong. Right that guy. Benedict Wong is there for a bit. Benedict Wong is there interrogating Lena when she gets back from the shimmer. And that's also how this film begins. So it jumps you know, around a lot. I so forgot how much it The did film that. jumps around and is fragmented in the same way that the mm -hmm. shimmer jumps mm -hmm. around and fragments. Mm -hmm. I only really got that this time around, but that's why, you know, that we're constantly flashing back to. Um, Lena being interviewed about coming back from the shimmer. So we know she makes it back from the beginning. It's, we, we know that she's the only survivor as well. Uh, and it also jumps around to Oscar Isaac's um, scenes with her and Oscar Isaac and their relationship. So that's the example of Lena's self-destructive behaviour is that she's been having an affair and that um, her husband, Kane, played by Oscar Isaac, has found out and it's suggested that's why he goes on this mission, this suicide, suicide mission. Exactly. To the shimmer again, reinforcing the scene of humanity's self-destructive behaviour. Fuck ourselves, really. Mm -hmm. and, um, ruin, yeah. Well, that's what Venture says. Ruin the good job, the happy relationship, and everything. There's something hardwired into our DNA that um, stops, goes out of our way to stop us from being happy. 
a lot of these great like conceptual ideas can be traced back to the talent of Alex Garland. You yes. can tell he was a writer first and foremost. Uh-huh. Dialogue is fantastic. The way information is drip fed to you, yeah. and the, the the really strong grasp on themes yeah. and this very literary sense. Um, yeah. So a bit of context for Alex Garland. He um, yeah, was a writer and novelist. He wrote. Um, 28 days later. He wrote 28 Days Later. He wrote the screenplay for Never Let Me Go. I didn't know he wrote oh, that. Sunshine. Um, or not. No. Yes, oh yeah, he did the screenplay for Sunshine. And then he went on to make his directorial debut with Ex Machina. And Oscar which, Isaac. Uh, which, yeah, Oscar Isaac is a recurring theme. And Men, which we spoke um, about. And yeah, he, he, oh, his most recent one was Men, which I haven't seen. And he also did a TV series called Devs, which... Devs, okay. I don't think, no one seen, no one, I don't think anyone really watched it. It had uh, Nick Offman in from Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. which was um, really good. It, but that was also um, sort of more about determinism and this um, a, a different kind of sci-fi, but um, a, a very interesting sci-fi with some amazing cinematography and amazing score as well. He's exciting. I think Alex Garland is really exciting yes. talent. Smart talent that really, um, you know, I know you're not the biggest fan, but when you watch a Cronenberg film, that yeah. slow creeping almost development mm-hmm. of this idea that this cancerous sort of insipid, yeah. like insidious idea, it's a physical, you know, it's sci-fi that actually makes you have to think. You can always yeah. feel... Your, your your knowledge being pushed to the very edge. Again, He's clearly a very level. smart guy capable of exploring big concepts. Uh, we never actually talked about the, without a doubt, the scariest scene. Oh, the, the bear. With the bear, the yes. Bear. So we, um, the first victim in this film is, um, I can't remember the, the ginger's name, uh, Cass. Cass. Uh, is, <laughs> yeah, one of the, he seems like there's kind of the most sort of like together person on this trip. Uh, they've set up camp somewhere at this sort of abandoned school, I think it is, and Cass is, Kidnapped by this huge, well, grab kidnapped the wrong word. It's sort of taken by this huge bear that they then later find. Uh, one of the so, Cass is is taken by this bear. Later on, um, another member of their team, Anya, starts to go a bit insane from the shimmer and ties the rest of the team to a chair. And then this bear thing comes back, and it is well, it mimics so the first victim's it's voice. Killed Cass. But he's also take it also when it screams, you can hear Cassie's voice. And they later deduce that part of Cassie's consciousness as she was dying was merged with this bear. The look of this bear is really good as well. It's, it's you don't expect it to be that that scary. It, it is a bear, but it's like this just off. There's something about it which isn't right. It's sort of got like a its face is like a skull kind of thing. Well, what are they called? Wendigos. I yeah. think it's playing God. And actually, because uh, Shudder. Has got a really good thing, 101 scariest movie moments, yeah. and this scene is in it. Mm. And they uh, were showing uh, like a breakdown of the scene, and they turned up the brightness, and they've actually edited in Cass's face underneath the, the skull of the yeah. bear. So they don't like that. Oh, I kind of, I kind of like it. Was like you know, I think like, the fact that you physical. I think the way that scene, that, that the way that scene is shot and lit, you can't see much of the bear. Which yeah. I think again, if you go back to Alien and Jaws, makes it a bit scarier. Um, but yeah, that seems really scary. So we get this bear screams, you can hear Cass saying, you help me, and it's really like fucking hell. You're not quite sure what's happening at first, but it's almost like there is part of her consciousness that is now destined to live in endless suffering as part of this bear. And again, that adds to making the shimmer really scary. Like, and it's like, yeah. you know, it, it really, yeah. it, it's, it's a really wonderful sort of exploration. But yeah, I really, really like this film. I think it, it's comparable to Alien in presenting us with a form of alien life, which is very different to us. And in a way, both, I think both films, both films sort of present the fact that this alien life is actually superior to humanity and that we're actually quite weak and a bit shit, mm-hmm. which is always fun. You know, it's almost the grand irony of being, you know, the, the, the human condition. Yeah. You know, these, 
we spend so long worrying about inconsequential things that you know when an alien life on that's own you know you don't even know what it wants yeah and yeah. it's one you know you've instantly yes. won because it's got it's not blinded by yeah. anything no they, that's what they say about the about the shimmer it doesn't want anything it just is it just is yeah annihilation which annihilation. is a great line and then yeah. and then she vomits out all this like weird shimmery stuff comes out of yeah. her yeah um, well she's certainly yeah she, but she kind of morphs into this big and that's when they really go for the sort of psychedelic light show mm-hmm. uh, and then this this light thing that Ventress becomes sort of then becomes Natalie Portman's doppelganger which it doesn't take form at first. It's sort of this weird T one thousand looking kind yes. of um, figure that just mimics Natalie Portman and then takes her form. And when she gets back, she's kind of different. And Kane as well. She says, "Are you? Are you? Are you Kane?" She says, "I don't think so." Well, even that at the beginning, where where Kane walks in, and she almost is anticipating it, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, I saw you in the room with the bed." And at that moment, really simple di- uh, writing, yeah. where she's aware, okay, he's it's not, not him. It's not him. Yeah. Um, and it's incredible. I yeah. really, 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 really adore Such an underrated film. film. This uh, film actually ultimately became a Netflix original. Mm. It was supposed to have a theatrical release and the producers fucked around. Well, they thing. thought it was too intellectual. They thought audiences yeah. weren't going to get on board with it. Well, producers and film studios seem to have no faith in um, in, in general cinema goers. Maybe there's a reason for that. Um, but yeah, a lot of the time they say, no, you can't have a film like this. You need to dumb it down and make it and take away all the mystery and the nuance and the high concept interesting things you have to explain everything and and yeah Alex Arnold was having none of it so they said alright now it's going on Netflix and I'm glad they did I'm glad he stuck to his guns because mm. uh, yeah. the producer of the film uh, sorry the uh, one of the producers of the film refused to let them take it out and turn it more into a sort of Jurassic Park style yeah and God bless it because it's incredibly unique and a really exciting film I think yeah um, bubbling away, you know. It, it, yeah, I, I, I really love this guy. Yeah, really love it. Really love both of them. Mm-hmm. Right. The cunning warrior attacks neither body nor mind. Tell me how! The heart, Osborne. First, we attack his heart. I'll tear your fucking heart out, girl! Hello! Bid our father, the Sea King, rise from the depths full Foul in his fury, black waves teeming with salt foam. You don't like me cooking. So, perhaps, uh, next segment, what's Willem been in this week? Ooh, I'm so glad you asked, because uh, our Willem is very versatile. I'm still not quite sure what we're doing this segment, but uh, go for it. He's not getting more enough love. You know, what, what other podcast does this? None. There you are. Okay. Platoon. Yes. Oliver okay. Stone. Okay, First great. film he won an Oscar for. Uh, best Supporting. Or was no, he snubbed? He was, he was, he was, he was, uh, I'm going to say recommended he an Oscar. He was nominated. He was nominated. Don't school me on Oscar. <laughs> and, and Tom Berenger were both nominated for Supporting Actor. Uh, neither one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Oliver Stone did win um, Best Director. Best Director. And best director. quite rightly. Yeah, Platoon's a very good film. Uh, and he's great. He's the good guy. You know, almost, you know, almost, you know he's the guy you root for. Uh, obviously, uh, besides... Um, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, thank you. Incre- and iconic scene where he's gunned down, he has his hands up. Spoiler, yeah. sorry. I think that's one of the scenes that... Mr. Poster seen, in the yeah. film. And it's funny how you not you can't actually see it's Willem Dafoe until you actually watch the film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, incredible performance. I guess you could almost argue that was his big breakout role. Really. Yeah, no, he, I think that was may have been the first uh, film I saw him in, actually. Michael Caine won Best Supporting Actor for Hannah and Her Sisters that year. I think I say uh, Jaws of Revenge. Uh, yeah, that would have been <laughs> uh, I, I would have given that to Willem, you know? I think Willem should have won, Quite right, won an Oscar for Quite that movie. Right. I think he is... Because he sort of just ties the film together, really. He's the, he's the one who humanises. He's a hu- yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite a bleak... It's a bleak film, anyway. 
but it's the last, the last look at years. the American soldiers and the colonization and the abusive way that a lot of them behave. But he's the redeeming, he's the redemption of all that. Well, and he pays for his sins, really, doesn't he? Because yeah. he stays behind and then um, gets done over. And also, yeah. you know, because I think that thing was about the soul. You know, yeah. that, that famous scene of like brothers, my soul hurts. Mm. Yeah, that film really again shows the human side of what's to us like, yeah. a very alien. Um, situation, you know, being in the middle of Vietnam, yeah, shot yeah. at from all sides, like, mm. yeah, exceptional film. Um, Very good. You seem surprised with that one. You weren't expecting yeah. me to pull that one out. You had, a thing, you had stuff to say. Yeah, stuff to say. Fair play. Uh, Love you, Willem. Next time, I will come up with a Willem the Oh, I will leave this segment. Yeah. See, now, now, no, 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 now, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Last thing before we go, our quiz. Yes. So, um, last time, we drew last time, I think, didn't we? we the first, first one I won, and the second one we drew. So, I'm winning still. I am winning the quiz segment. Uh, let's see For if now. I continue that. So, do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay, okay. Where was the first horror movie released? The first horror The movie. first ever horror film. Would you like options or do you want to stab in the dark? Give me the options, so, please. 1880. 1896. 1901. 1950. First horror film. So the idea that I had in my head of the first horror film is a little bit later than I think all of these things. So I am going to stab in the dark and say 1901. No. Okay, what's the first? I, I was thinking Nosferatu or Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. No, there were. Is there was, horror before? There's horror before. Uh, Vampires, which is like a four and a half hour silent wow. movie. Okay. Uh, uh, 1896. 1896, that's the correct answer. Okay, interesting. Vampire. Is that the first horror movie then? Uh, I think so. I think so. Okay. But this could be a subjective question, the first Well, I think, movie. well, I'm actually, sure to be honest, might dispute that. I think it's. it's is it the, 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 the Ghost Carriage? It's a film um, which. Depicted this carriage that was basically an illusion going around scaring yeah. people in the Not seen it, but it's a ten. Okay, cool. All right, next question, please. Final Destination yeah. is based on an unproduced X Files episode. Okay. True or false? False. <laughs> really? That's true, is that's it? True. Wow. Oh, shit, I've only got two questions. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you did not prepare. I had. Think I should win by default. Uh, 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 um, um, uh. No, you know what? No, I who, get a point. No, who, no, no, no. Who? Um, no, fuck. Okay, you don't get a point. Yes, you, I get a you point. Don't win by default. No, no, no. I, no, no. I get one point. That, that sounds like a man. I got the first two wrong, and you didn't come. Third. So it I sounds like a losing man. No, I get one um, point. You should have prepared. No, stop looking at your DVDs for a random question. Who scored the first three Dario Argento movies? Goblin. Wrong. The Animal Ah, okay. You should. Right. Okay. Zero zero zero. You need to come better prepared. Zero, you zero. lose the preparation. Didn't I remind you? That's why I reminded you to do these questions. Yeah, you still didn't <laughs> do them. Okay. All right. Fine. So, zero. zero out of three. I accept that. Yours were quite hard. I you think mine are easier. Oh, yeah. okay. Would you have got any of them without research? Yeah. You would have known the first horror movie in the year. Uh, I would know the, 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 the last question I asked you. <laughs> <Fine>. <laughs> Whatever. I'm, this is a 
question we're on, but I'm like, uh, we'll, we'll go for it. Okay, so question one, what is the highest grossing horror film of all time? I almost put this question down. Fuck, I can't remember what it is. Really? <laughs> highest grossing horror film of all time? Yes. It part one. Yes, well done. It, 2017. Fair play. There you go. Cool. <laughs> you got one point. You've already beaten me. Okay, so in the 1999... Wait, did 99? When did Scream come out? Whatever. In Scream, what is rule one on Andy's list of rules for surviving <laughs> horror movies? Interesting. You don't have sex. Yeah, correct. Don't have sex. Yeah. Rule one of horror. You have sex yeah, and you die. die. Very yes. good. Never say I'll be right back. Two for two. I'll be right I'll back. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm interested to see whether or not you'll get this, actually. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, what is Nancy's address? Three Elm Street way. Well, it's obviously Elm Street. Isn't it? it's Number 13. 66, 69. No. All two on the nose. 1428 Elm Street is Nancy's address. And that's consistent. I haven't seen all of them, but is, that, is, is their address the, the consistency, consistency throughout the movie? I know in the second one, obviously, that's... It's really just the first one. I mean, consistency gets thrown out the window by well, the second one. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, two out of three. You beat me. Fair play. my prize. Give me my prize. Oh, yeah. So Very cold handshake. Cold hands. Cold hands, cold heart. Cold hands, cold heart. Fuck off. Spiteful. Okay. So now we're on. We're, we're now we're tied. Yeah. Two points each in the horror film quiz saga. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, one well, one of us will be um, fight to the death. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Cool. That yeah. doesn't play well on you know audio. You can hear it. Okay. The survivor has to stop the recording. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, that about uh, wraps it up. That was our sci-fi horror episode, which um, I think was very exciting to do. It's uh, yeah, interesting subgenre. Mm, agreed. Um, also, probably the most popular of all subgenres, really. I suppose so. Yeah. In terms of historical, yeah, I mean, it was one In of terms the first subgenres. Blending two genres, yeah. I guess sci-fi is always going to be slightly off. Well, not always, but uh, often entrenched in horror. It's that unknown, that alien life. It's so easy to weave horror into sci-fi. Mm. I think. Yeah, well, you know, it always captures again like yeah. horror, you know, the, the fears and zeitgeist of totally. the world. Cool, right. Well, stay scary, people. Yeah, try to. And we will see you in the next one. Or not. Some of you may be dead by that point. Ah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get them after the grave. We'll get a Patreon from uh, Beyond the Grave. All right, let's wrap this up. Keep looking up. Look to the skies. Look to the stars. They're out there.